Well, good morning, church. How's everyone today? Glad to be here today. Amen. It's a beautiful day. Great energy in here. Thanks to the band. Appreciate that. And I think the warmer weather probably has a lot to do with it, right? Everyone in a good mood today. Nice, beautiful weather outside. And it's great to be here. And we thank you for choosing to be here with us this morning. Now, we're coming down to the last few messages in this sermon series that we've been on for, for months now. We've been preaching through the book of James, and I don't know about you guys, but this has been a, a very challenging book for me. James is challenging because James doesn't just tell us what to do as God's people, but James gives us practical information at how to do the things God wants us to do. And so even though it's a short book, we've covered a lot, and we've been diving deep into this very short but challenging book. And the title of this series has been A Faith That Works. And you know, through this series, we've had our slogan. You remember what the slogan has been? If Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life is going to look what? Different. We're saying if Jesus has made a difference in our lives, then our lives are going to look different than the lives of folks who don't follow Jesus. Our lives as Christians will be different than folks who don't know God. And we want to be shining that light and showing the difference so folks will see the change or the difference in us and want to see Christ. That's the goal. And so we've talked about this faith that works. It's a faith that works in us. It's a faith that works for us. It's a faith that works through us. And it's a faith that works ultimately for the glory of God. So today's sermon title is, A Faith That Works When You're Honest. Honesty is the best policy. Okay, our moms all taught us that, right? At a young age, honesty is the best policy. And so we're going to talk about that today. And we're going to start with our scripture, which is James chapter 5, verses 1 through 6. James writes the following, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You've laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. You've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You fatten your hearts in a day of slaughter. You've condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. Wow, that's some pretty heavy stuff here from James, isn't it? The pretty harsh language he's using. And we see him in chapter 4 using some harsh language. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago. In chapter 4, he, he talks about you adulterous people. And he says, friendship with the world is actually enmity toward God. And in chapter 4, verse 9, he says, be wretched and mourn and weep. You remember we talked about that last time. So here in chapter 5... He dials it up a notch, I think, and he says words like weep and howl for the miseries that are coming. He says their corrosion will eat your flesh like fire. You've fattened your hearts for the day of slaughter, and you've condemned and murdered the righteous. And you might be thinking, well, this doesn't sound all that encouraging. And you would be right to a degree. But you see, you might also be asking, what is James really getting at here? What is he talking about? Is he talking just about money and wealth? And what does this have to do with honesty? 
In 2014, I preached a sermon on this passage of Scripture, and the title of that sermon was called, Where is My Investment? And we looked at whether we're as focused at investing in heavenly things as we are in investing in the earthly things here now. But today, we're going to talk about another lesson James teaches us from this passage. James is talking about honesty. He's being honest. And you remember who this James is, right? We've talked about him all year now. This James was the brother of Jesus, but he didn't believe Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah, while Jesus was here on this earth. In fact, he doubted him. And we know that it wasn't until after the resurrection that James believed that Jesus was who he said he was. And he went on to become a passionate believer. He went on to write this book. He went on to become one of the key leaders in the early church. And we know that he was in Jerusalem when all these things happened. And he loved Jesus. He loved Jesus first as his brother, even though he thought he was crazy for claiming to be the Christ. Does anybody in here have a crazy brother or sister? Yes. Yes, amen. I'm an only child, but some of you do, right? We all have, we all have crazy family members though, right? Yes. And while other people might talk about them, we're going to take up for them, right? Because they're our family. James thought Jesus was crazy, but then he ultimately believed that he was the Messiah. And we see from the book of Acts and beyond in the New Testament that James loved the church. He loved the church. And I'll tell you, I don't think you can look at Scripture and say anything except this. You cannot love Jesus and not love his church because the church is the bride of Christ, right? Jesus died on Calvary for his church. So we can't love, can't love Jesus and not love his church and think that we can make it to heaven. I think Scripture teaches that because the church is the steward of God's word, the gospel of Christ. The church may have its flaws, right? Its failures. No church is perfect. If you find a perfect church, call me up and I'll go there with you, right? Because the church is made up of people and we all have flaws and we all fall short. But it's the bride of Christ. And we know James loved the church. So when we see strong, harsh language like we just read, written by James as inspired by God, remember it comes from a place of love. He's writing to these believers in the first century because he loves them and he cares for them. And God's word, he shows us time and time again through his word that he loves us too. Even when sometimes the words might seem harsh. So what does this passage have to do with honesty? Well, first point out of three for you note takers, first point, we all need somebody to be honest with us. Who here likes honesty? I mean, okay, that's fair, but really, do you always want someone to be honest with you all the time? Yes? Okay, well, that's good. Because sometimes honesty is not all that pleasant, right? And you know, we're all familiar with maybe business leaders or politicians who surround themselves with yes men or yes women. And when you're in a position of leadership, you need somebody who will go against you sometimes, right? Keep you honest and tell you things you don't want to hear. It's dangerous to have a yes man or yes woman around you because you need that back and forth for the best ideas to come forth. And that is what James is doing here. He's being honest with us in this passage. He's talking to first century rich people. And I'm going to tell you, if you live in America today, you are richer than this audience James was writing to. You might say you're not rich financially, 
But if you define being rich as having more than enough to survive, then I would say all of us here are rich, right? Because we all, thank God, have more than enough to survive. So James is writing to rich folks then, and he's writing to us here today. And I'm convinced, I believe, that James was probably in the audience and actually heard Jesus preaching the Sermon on the Mount. Think about that. Can you imagine what it would have been like to be there in that original audience hearing Jesus preach. And James was probably there, and he probably heard Jesus say these words in Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. James is essentially saying what Jesus says here. Don't be a hoarder of stuff. Don't hoard money. Don't put your treasure in earthly things. Why? Because those things will never satisfy us. We aren't designed to be satisfied by stuff. And you know how we know that? Because we always want more, don't we? One more dollar, one more car, one more whatever. That's human nature. There's a man who was a regular diner at a restaurant. He went there every night for dinner. And he complained one night because he only got two loaves of bread with his meal, or two pieces of bread with his meal. He said, I really love bread. So in order to please the guy, the next night the waiter brought three pieces of bread out. He said, ah, that's a little better, but still I'd like to have more bread. So the next night he brings five pieces of bread out. And the guy says, well, you're getting better, but I still think you're being a little stingy with this bread. <laughs> Even with a basket full of bread on the next night, the guy said, that still wasn't enough. So the manager said, I'm going to fix this. So he had a colossal loaf of bread baked the next night. This loaf of bread measured six feet long and three feet wide. That's a big piece of bread. And it took the manager and two waiters to carry this bread to this man's table. And when they sat it down on the table, it covered the table completely. And the, they stood back and crossed their arms and smiled, waiting for this man's approval. And you know what he did? He looked at the piece of bread. He looked up at these gentlemen and he said, so we're back to one piece again. <laughs> Aren't we like that sometimes? Aren't we like that sometimes? You know, when we try to find our happiness and our joy and our satisfaction in material things, whether it's food or money or possessions, whatever it is, we'll always want more because we'll never have enough. Don't be a hoarder, James says. Don't hoard stuff. Don't hoard money. He's keeping us honest here. Now, as believers, we know that it's not money that is evil, but it is the love of money Paul tells us in 1 Timothy, that's the root of all kinds of evil. But I think the fact remains that the way we manage our money reveals what's in our hearts, doesn't it? You see, James, uh, James and Jesus, I merged those two words there. James and Jesus are both telling us the same thing here. They're saying that if we love money and if our treasure is only in earthly things, then this is the best we're going to get. So we better enjoy it because one day soon, it's all going to be gone, right? 
It's all going to belong to somebody else. Listen again what he says in James 5, 3. Their corrosion will be evidence against you and will eat your flesh like fire. That doesn't sound very nice, but it's not nice because when we live our lives only for ourselves, the consequences are fatal. And we need accountability. We need to be honest. Sometimes we as believers live in this world like this world is all we have. Sometimes we, we, someone once said that we spend money and go in debt to buy things we don't even need to impress people we don't even know. Amen. And sometimes those around us might know best that we struggle with greed or being obsessed with our possessions. And sometimes we spend our money and we say we love God and we say we love the church, but our money doesn't really say that. Maybe our money says it's more about me and what I can have and what I can get. When you look at your bank account, what jumps out as something that's very important to you? Go home this afternoon and pull up your bank account and see what you're spending your money on the most. That it says a lot about what's important. When I look at my bank account, I have concluded that Mexican food is very important to me, right? <laughs> I got an amen last service. You guys must not be Mexican fans. Uh, but it's true. And for you, maybe it's clothes, maybe it's vacations, maybe it's travel ball expenses. Who knows? And there's nothing wrong with these things. But where we spend our money says a lot about where our hearts are. And do we remember God honestly when we allocate our funds, when we determine how we're going to spend what he has blessed us with? You see, sometimes we need to, we need to look at what we're giving for the work of the Lord. Does what we give say, thank you, God, I owe you everything? Or does it say, I've done well, here's a tip for you? These are questions we can only answer for ourselves. But James is being brutally honest with these people because he loves them. And hopefully someone will be honest with us if we are becoming obsessed with our possessions and our money. It can happen so easily to us even unintentionally, because in America in 2023, our culture tells us, be obsessed with your possessions. Get all you can get for yourself. That's the culture we live in. And Satan wants us focused on our possessions, because when we are focused with getting more, then we're going to have little, if any, time left over to serve God. Where is our focus as God's people? James is being honest with us here this morning. And the second point we need to be honest with ourselves. Are we like the people that James is talking to here? In verses 2 and 3, he accuses his readers of, of hoarding wealth in both money and clothes. Anyone need to clean out their closet? Yes. Boy, I did that a couple of weeks ago. Took almost the whole day. That's not something to be proud of. It was not fun. So we see in verse 4 that their wealth was wrongfully withheld. Are you paying your employees enough? You see, the rich people James was addressing here apparently had workers out mowing their fields, and they wrongfully withheld their wages from them. And if you look at history, you'll know that these workers were called day laborers, which means a day laborer works today so that he can feed his family tonight. So if you didn't work or didn't get paid during the day, you didn't eat at night. So you can see how desperate a situation these rich people were putting their workers in by not paying them what they were due. And if you are here this morning and you have employees working under you, 
Remember, that is a privilege, not a right. And we need to heed James's warning and treat our employees right. Treat people the right way. Do you tip your waiter or waitress appropriately when you go out to eat? How many folks have been a waiter or a waitress? Few of you, right? I'm told that the worst time to work as a waiter or a waitress is Sundays right after church. Have you all heard that? They say it's when the tips are the worst and the people are the rudest. And that's a sad thing to be said about God's people because the exact opposite of that should be true. Amen? You see, it doesn't do us any good to come here and listen to God's word and sing songs and praise and then go out there and mistreat a waiter or a waitress with our rudeness or our greed. Sometimes it only takes a couple dollars more. You see, we want to be nice and kind and godly toward our waiters and waitresses. We don't want to treat them just like the rest of the world does. So the food order's wrong. They'll fix it. Big deal, right? Maybe your food comes out cold. They'll heat it up. Maybe the wait is too long. Go somewhere else. Or better yet, eat at home, right? We've got to tip as though we're doing it for the Lord. Because if you're a follower of his, you are. And we will always treat people right. Verse 5, we see James saying that the money of these rich folks was being spent selfishly in self-indulgence. In verse 6, we see it was ruthlessly gained. Is James talking to us this morning? There's a guy named Tommy Oakes who preached a sermon called The Dot. And he illustrated his title by having everyone look up at the ceiling where he had long beams, wooden beams in his church. And he asked everyone to focus on one minuscule dot on the beam. And he said, that dot represents your life on that big, long beam that represents eternity. Now, if you look up to the ceiling here, you're going to get blinded. But if you do, maybe a light would reflect or would be your dot, right, on this big, huge ceiling. And the point is, the dot represents your life. So compared to eternity, the dot is so small. Our lives are so small compared to eternity. The point of the sermon that Tommy Oakes preached was, are you living just for the dot or are you living your life for eternity? And again, that's a question we can only answer for ourselves. No one else can answer it for us. But we have to be honest about it. Ask yourself this question, what am I living for? And if you don't know, a good place to start may be by looking at where you spend your money and your time and your energy. Because those are spiritual tests we don't want to fail as believers. Remember, if Jesus has made a difference in your life, then your life is going to look different. And that includes the way we spend the things we've been blessed with. Do you guys know what the fastest growing area of real estate is in America right now? Storage facilities. Storage facilities, right? And I'm told that uh, they're just growing in leaps and bounds compared to other things that are being built. Why do you think that is? Because in America we have so much junk, right? That's the reason. And also I'm told that there's 155,000 storage units every year that are abandoned. Either people die or folks just forget they've stored stuff somewhere and they quit paying the bill. So there's even been this show come out called Storage Wars. Anybody ever watch Storage Wars? Where, that's a lot of you. Where folks can, 
<laughs> where folks actually bid on the opportunity to go inside these storage units and see what good things they can find. And sometimes they find some good stuff. But a lot of the time, it's just a bunch of junk, right? Just a bunch of cheap plastic junk that someone at some point thought was worthy of paying to store. And if you're like everyone else, you probably have some of that junk in your closet or your basement or your attic or your garage, right? We all have this stuff. When Felinda and I bought our first house, I made a rule. The rule was there's nothing to go in the attic except holiday decorations. Because the thought process was if we're putting something in the attic, then it's probably something we don't need unless it's Christmas or Easter stuff that comes out, you know, once a year. What do you think my attic looks like now? It's not Felinda's fault, but it's full of junk, right? That's what happens. And I'll tell you this, we even took stuff from that attic when we moved and put it in the attic at our new house. So if you're taking stuff from one attic to the next attic, you got to question whether you really need it, right? But we do these things. Why do we do these things? Most of the stuff we work hard for every single day is going to end up down here on Route 34 in that dump in 30 years or less. So is it really as important as all the focus we put on it? We need to be honest with ourselves. And that's what James is doing here today. This section of James makes me think of what Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 15. He says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told him a story about this rich farmer that we talked about a couple of weeks ago who had a really big crop, and his barns couldn't store all the crop, so he decided that he was going to, rather than you know, sharing this food with his neighbors or the poor folks or folks in need, he decided instead he was going to tear down his barns and build bigger barns. And he goes on to say in Scripture, And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is it with the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. A couple of weeks ago, we said this farmer had no tomorrows. All his planning, all his success were meaningless because his life was over. He was living just for the dot, not for the ceiling of eternity. And we need to be honest with ourselves. Are we living just for the dot? Or are we living with our eternal purpose in mind? And here's the last point we can say about honesty in this scripture. Thirdly, we need to be honest with God. God already knows everything anyway, right? He knows everything. He knows your heart. He knows your ambitions. He knows your plans. He knows your passions. And he even knows your potential. A lot of times before we do. And since he knows everything, then we need to be honest with him if this is an area where we struggle. Because we live in an age where we're able to see and enjoy just about anything we could possibly want to see or enjoy. And you think of what Solomon said in Ecclesiastes 2.10. He said, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. But then he goes on to say, it was all vanity and a striving after the wind. You ever tried to strive after the wind? Anybody here ever caught the wind? You can't, right? 
but it doesn't keep us from trying, Solomon says. So are we being honest with ourselves and with God when it comes to how we approach our materialistic things? If we're being honest with God, then we'll confess these four things about our lives. First of all, what we have is not just for us, right? Secondly, what we gain is not just for right now. And thirdly, what we store away is not safely protected. And that's evidenced by these folks on storage wars auctioning off other people's possessions, right? The things we store are not safely protected. And number four, what we thought was ours will one day be taken away and it will become someone else's or it will be buried in the dump. So don't get too attached to your stuff, James is saying. Don't hoard it. Don't make your life's purpose be about what you can get because one day real soon, that'll all be over. If you want to go after riches, if you want to spend your life going after riches, Scripture says go after heavenly riches, right? Because you know the phrase or the, the, the saying, I've never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse, right? We can't take it with us when we go. That was read in our focus verse from 1 Timothy a little while ago. So if you want to go after riches, and you want to spend your days doing that, make sure you're going after heavenly riches. 2 Corinthians 8 9, Paul writes this. He says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Regardless of what your bank account says, if you're a Christian, you are rich because Jesus died in your place. Amen? That's true wealth. That's true value. That's the value that lasts. And we want to make sure as believers we're not in the crosshairs of these scathing warnings we read from James here in James chapter 5. And if we want to do that, there's two things we need to do. First of all, we have to become a giver. Now, I'm not talking about just giving in the collection plate at church, although that's part of it. But I'm talking about becoming known as a person who gives more than you take. I'm in a business group called BNI. Jeanette's in there with me. Have you guys ever heard of BNI? It's called Business Networking International. And business uh, professionals meet every week and pass referrals to each other. And the, you don't show up at these meetings to get business. You show up at these meetings to give business to the members of your chapter. And the whole philosophy of BNI is called giver's gain. And the thought process is if I'm showing up to give business to the folks in my chapter, they're going to give business to me, right? And it works. BNI passes billions of dollars worldwide every year. And our little chapter in Huntington is a small part of that. Giver's gain works in the business world. And it is a very biblical principle, right? Think about that. Everything God made is designed to give. Just think about all the things we know. The sun gives of its warmth and it gives us light, right? The ocean gives us seafood. Any seafood lovers in here? Crab legs, shrimp, all those good things. The ocean gives us that, right? Trees give us shade and lumber. The ground gives us crops to eat. Even bugs give us aggravation, right? So everything God designed 
was designed to give. And that includes us, church. Mankind, we are designed to give. Yeah, we're designed to give money. But much more than that. We're designed to give of our time, to give of our energy, to give of our focus, to give of our hearts. So the question we have to ask ourselves today, am I a giver in God's kingdom? Because we want to be. And don't just stop there. Become a giver, but secondly, become a generous giver. Go above and beyond, right? The Bible tells us God loves a cheerful giver, right? Give more than what's required. God has generously lavished his grace on us. So let's help each other. Let's help our church. Let's help those who are struggling. Help others with your wealth. Let the people in your life know that you'll do whatever it takes to make sure the work of the Lord gets done. And you'll give money, time, energy, heart, whatever it requires. And wealth isn't just about money. Maybe you're having a time of peace right now in your life. That certainly has value, right? That's certainly part of wealth. If you're living in a time of peace right now in your life and in your family, use your time to help someone else who's not. Be there for someone else who's struggling and in chaos right now. Maybe you've been given, uh, gone through a terrible situation where you've gained godly wisdom and godly insight in a trial. Use your godly wisdom, that wealth of knowledge, to help out a brother or sister who's going through the similar things right now. Pray for them. Provide advice from God. God has been generous with us. Amen? Our challenge this week, honestly be generous toward God and toward his people. That's our challenge. When you're out and about at work, the store, that restaurant, when the food's taking too long and it comes out cold, be generous and honest and loving toward all the people God puts in your path this week. And see if maybe this week doesn't go a little bit smoother than last week. Because it all has to do with our hearts, church. So let's honestly be generous toward God and toward his people. So I'm going to close this sermon with the same question we've asked throughout this series. Has Jesus made a difference in your life? And if he has, then your life is going to look different. The way you manage your money and your possessions will look different than the way the world does. And maybe it's time to have some honesty in your life about this issue. Maybe it's time in your life to stop living just for the dot and live with the view of the eternal life your God has given you. You see, Jesus paid a huge price for every one of us at Calvary, and he died in our place, and he did that to make a difference in our lives. The question is, are we letting him? Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you so much for this beautiful day you've given us. This opportunity we, we have, Lord, to be here as brothers and sisters and to, to look at your word, God, and see what you're teaching us through it. And Father, I pray that you be with our hearts today. Be with us this week as we are out and about and we come across folks. And God, I pray that we will honestly be generous in the ways you've called us to be. Help us, Father, to look at our lives. And if we need to make adjustments, give us the courage to do that. Give us the wisdom to do that. And Father, help us realize that all the things we have, no matter how hard we've worked, they all come from you. They're blessings from you. And we are here just for a little while to enjoy them. Help us, Lord, to look at them in their proper perspective. God, I pray that you be with each of us here today. Keep us safe.
Father, help us to be lights in our community and in the folks that we're around. Father, not so that they'll see us, but so they'll see you. We ask all this in Jesus' holy name we pray. And amen. We now move into our response time. And if you have a need or you want to talk about your next steps toward becoming a Christian, I'll be down here at the front. I'll be glad to talk with you. If you need prayer, if you have something good you want to share, that's what we're here today to do. So come see me now as we stand and sing.